Hello. Hello. Um, and hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the Date Night at the Coffee Shop podcast. This is episode... This is episode two. But really episode um, one. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> episode one, we ran into some technical difficulties after we finished recording, so um, this might be coming out before episode one. We'll just have to see when we get there, but um, if not, hopefully we'll be able to to recover that and and maybe release episode one at a later date. Um, but we're different. Um, the premise: what we do here, we try a new kind of coffee uh, every episode. And just kind of give our opinion on, you know, how it tastes. Um, and then we just kind of discuss... Whatever we want. Whatever we want. Yeah, just, I mean, literally any kind of topic. Our very first topic, we just had the discussion on coffee uh, in episode one. Uh, but we've got a different topic for today. Uh, today we're going to be talking about true, true crime. crime. Um, so we'll see where this takes us. Um, but we're going to go ahead and get started. So here, let me pour up some coffee. Here's yours. And if this topic doesn't speak to you, I love that sound. That's completely okay. Come back next time and maybe we'll have... (coughs) And that's Bella introducing herself. Yeah, our dogs just pay no attention to the dogs behind the podcast. They're annoying. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Hopefully we'll have a bunch of different topics to talk about along the way. I mean, it is date night after all. We talk about all kinds of things. We do talk about all kinds of things. I love conversations with you. Yeah. All, all right. right. So first sip. That's hot, 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 hot. Super hot. Oh, and we are drinking this in the style of pour over. In case yeah, I was going to get wondering. to that after all. Okay. pretty good um it's not it's not as good as the first coffee we had it's it's the the lost episode it's a little more earthy um so what we're drinking today is illy coffee um you may have seen this at your local grocery store uh it comes in like a a metal can uh this one is illy classico Uh, it's more of a medium roast uh, bean, but um, it's it's very earthy. And it says it's it's a blend, right? So it's it um, is a blend, an arabica blend. Um, it's good. It's smooth. It is very smooth. Um, I do feel like as with it, it is an Italian coffee. So as with most, well, a lot of Italian coffees, it probably would do better as an espresso. Yeah, I can see that. Rather than than this, and we did it in a pour over. Uh, today. What brand is that? Does it matter? What brand is our pour over? Yeah. Uh, it's a Bodum. Oh, okay. So it's a lot like a Chemex, uh, but just a little bit cheaper. Different. Awesome. Um, but yeah, so that's the coffee. Um, again, that's Illy, I-L-L-Y. Um, you can find it usually in a metal can. Uh, you'll find that at your local, most local grocery, grocery stores, stores or yeah. wherever you buy coffee. We'll probably have it. So now that I've had a chance to taste it, it's not actually, it's not bad. I think the, the sharp, because it's really hot. Yeah, it is very hot. 
Um, but it's it's super smooth. It's not it's not bitter. Especially for a medium roast too, where like you get the more bitterness from like the beans themselves, you know. Yeah. So it's pretty good. So. But anyways, so now um, we'll go ahead and move on to our topic for Ooh. this episode. And again, we're going to be talking about true crime today. Um, Sam, this is one of your favorite topics. Ooh, yes, um, it is. To I'm super excited. Listen to you listen to all kinds of true crime podcasts and watch documentaries and read books, read and books and watch yes. shows. Um, so I'll go ahead and let you take it away here. Awesome. So that actually kind of leads 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 in really well to um, why, like why true crime? Why is it such a big thing? Because I feel like it's gained popularity. Um, it is. It seems like the last probably five years or so, it's it's gotten huge. Yeah. It's a huge market for it. Yeah. Um, which is a little macabre, I would say, but um, I don't know. It's it's an interesting phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, for I did some extensive Google searching for this, but basically, um, a lot of the reasons there's a there's actually I have a list of reasons. Um, Number one, evil is pretty fascinating. You know, since the start of time, we've had pretty much, um, like, the the tension of good and evil going on, you know? Yeah, that's kind of been at the forefront of all of human legends and mm-hmm. stories and yeah. mythologies. Yeah, storytelling is, like, that's basically, like, the theme of all stories is, you know, the, the fight and tension between good and evil. And so... Um, whenever we like to think ourselves as humans as basically good, you know, most people think that the, think themselves basically good. It's the the fascination of of evil. That's kind of the the number one search that number one reason I kind of found. Also, um, there's kind of a protective factor. I found some some information on how to um, like evolutionarily speaking. It's like you if you notice something that's dangerous, you know, then you try to avoid it. So it's like if you and it, go, it goes into like another one of the things about like helping us feel prepared for like hmm. danger. Hmm. Kind of um, the physiological response it gives us. Um, so it's kind of like video games and like the other simulated experiences that we that we have. And it kind of gives you a physiological response with your endorphins and stuff watching but like fear yeah like adrenaline it gives you like a a boost of adrenaline and stuff like that i don't really add that up i really felt like adrenaline from just listening to true crime or anything like that because it's not like i'm like startle you or no but it is like it it, it is fearful it's something that brings about fear and so like the Hmm. the fear response it stimulates the the fear response in a lot of people um let's see my the puzzle aspect of things that's something that i think has been kind of a theme throughout um a lot of stuff with the evolution of true crime and how we've we've shifted to more like detective work like how it's gotten solved right so it's kind of become like a game for people like it's like how how can i figure it out yeah let's figure this out and like and also that you know i think I wrote down to like we solve it and figure it out and it could be linked to our need for justice mm-hmm. because justice justice is illusion is an illusion of order and like control you know like because we right. we have faith in these proven systems which we know that there's problems with the justice system but you know there's an innate sense of right and wrong right. going back to like the the evil side of things too good and evil but and lastly like i said earlier like it helps us feel prepared that's kind of like the biggest thing the biggest takeaway that i've seen 
from all of the stuff I looked at, like we're constantly inundated with like images of stuff to be fearful of because of the 24 hours news cycle and stuff like that. And I do remember reading in some of my early criminal justice classes about how there was a study and it said that the people who are most fearful of a crime are actually the least likely to be victims of it, which I don't know how accurate that study is these days. That doesn't seem very, that seems kind of weird. Yeah, it seems it seems hard to measure, but I can I can see that like most of the time it's like it's kind of like getting in a wreck on in an airplane or something like being in a plane crash. Like yeah. it's your chances are super low. Yeah. So if you're worried about it, it's probably not going to happen to you. Yeah, but also like it said, I read a study that said that um, like men are more likely to be victims of of homicide. So like. I guess that's kind of where some of it, like, if women are afraid of, like, being murdered, essentially, they are least likely than men to be murdered. But, it like, statistics can be skewed. There, However, women do make up 70% of intimate partner homicide victims. Mm-hmm. So. So people that don't really have anything to do with anybody, they're more likely to kill a man. Um but if you're in a relationship, you're more likely to kill the woman. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Pretty much, which is kind of <laughs> scary. But I definitely think there is a link between, like, how far removed you are from crime and, like, our fascination with it, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, if it's if it's something that you live in your everyday, you may not be as likely to, like, want to go, that for, go there for, like, entertainment purposes. Right? True. So, um, yeah, a study in 2020, 2010 showed that women were drawn to books, articles books and articles that prepared them for an attack. So like more than men were, that's kind of what they were looking for in their, in their true crime experience was um, like how to prepare for it. Um, But also another study that I read talked about the psychological aspect of the content of true crime. And Mm -hmm. actually you would think, you know, there's a lot of things that say like, Oh, it's just gory and people who, you know, that actually has very little to do with it. Um, the th- main theme of um, why people are interested in it across genders was the psychology of the perpetrator and the means of escape from for the victim. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because basically the 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 gruesome details of the crime were not statistically significant. So like right. whatever those con- that but as long as it had like a psychological of the per- psychological component from the perpetrator so right? like some sort of psychological deficiency or yeah, like, or like, like what, what made him do it uh, or what made right. her do it like that kind of thing um and how the victim escaped if they were able to escape like those were the things that really drew people to true crime hmm. so we want to know why they did it and how they got away with it yeah how they got away with it but also how the victim may have gotten away you know right okay so i thought that's yeah i thought those were pretty interesting points as to like why we're drawn to to true crime so I, f- I find it a little interesting. I mean, I, looking at like, you know, my interest and in, I don't I don't read a lot of things about true crime, I, which now I guess it's because I'm a man. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I guess I'm you know, I'm not really that interested in the gory details, but I just always just assumed that was kind of part of it. But it seems like that's actually one of the more minuscule aspects of it. Yeah. And it seems like, too, I mean, while. 
I feel like that that's a component that's like, wow, like the depravity kind of thing. I feel like, like this study said, I mean, it's pretty much like who could do that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's, that's where the, the goriness kind of leaks, like links in is like, how could they do something so horrible? Right. More like that and less about So it ties them. more still into the, the more right. psychological uh, aspect of it. Right. So when did it start? So about like the history, a little bit of history. So so with true crime. So we're talking about like when did people be interest become yeah. interested in learning about true crime? Not when did true crime started with Cain and Abel. Yeah, yeah, Cain and Abel. You know, basically the dawn <laughs> since the dawn of humanity, there's been crime. Yeah. But um, you know, when did people start really paying attention to it and? Like for literary, yeah, yeah, just seeking it out just to just to hear about the cases. Exactly. So in the 16th century and up until the 17th century in England, um, it was really common for like pamphlets, books, and like circulars to be distributed about like local news stories, right? right. Like that's kind of where that's the first link that I found. Right. Um, and so at this time in history, these things were not printed for everyone, right? Like because of literary just rate, their or like or? well liter- literacy rates and stuff like that oh like, yeah that's true in the 16th and 17th century i guess hardly if you were able to read is because you were well one off. of the elite yeah um and so basically um like these let's see what is what do my notes say um literary literacy rates were rising but um Again, these pamphlets and circulars were for the elite, and they they were the per- people who ha- a had the means to buy them, and secondly, they um, had the time to buy them, hmm. you know, or like the to- like the money, the means, the like they had that t- yeah, the time to read them, and so um, they because of that factor, they kind of highlighted the struggles of the marginalized. So it was kind of like gawking at like the otherness of the poor. Right. You know, um, which I think has been kind of a common theme and with like the class distribution. But um, let's see. So the examples of like things that were included in these circulars were um, domestic or sex related murders. We should pause and probably say that like this is true crime. Like if you have littles. This may not be an appropriate episode to listen with with your littles around. Yeah. I mean, use your discretion. Yeah, like we're probably, uh, we're not going to get we're, super we're gonna super be, gory. Like, yeah, but hopefully we are not. Gonna, but we are going to be talking about some really heavy topics here. Yeah, so just um, so just be prepared. Yeah, should have said that at the beginning. Sorry, guys. But um, yeah, so the circulars included like domestic or sex related murders, women's criminal activities, and I feel like it was added in there because like it was seen as like a women commit crime. What? Like, oh, that that was actually <laughs> going to be my question. Do you mean? Like criminal activities against women or women committing them? Women so. committing them. Huh. So that was like um, its own... Uh, like kind of subtopic. Subject. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so like these crime pam- fa- uh, pamphlets were... They're not like a specific genre, right? Like they were just kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wouldn't be considered like true crime. So some of it would have been news stories. Some of it would have been like... Um, fiction? Yeah, maybe fiction, but like kind of like hyperbolic of like... This is awful. So, like, it talks about, like, the morals of the time. And, like, it's very, um, it wasn't very regulated. Right. right? Um, the press wasn't super regulated at that point. So, um, like, some kind of, like, spiritual or supernatural things. Like, the things that they can't explain. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they were really, and so I think I know where your next question is going to be. This is kind of like the start of Penny Dreadfuls. Right. So this is kind. This is kind of what these things were at this right. time. So, a lot of people probably don't know what Penny Dreadfuls are, um, which I, I mean I do. And it was one of my favorite shows. is based off of Penny Dreadfuls. But um, so go ahead and let's let's talk about that. What what are Penny Dreadfuls? So basically, they are stories, fiction, true. Like there's not like again. You know, they're, they're, most of them were fiction, and they were published in the Penny Press. There were fun stories, macabre stories. Right. So these just, like, horrific kind of stories mm-hmm. that were printed out on these. They're kind of more like pamphlets than they were newspapers. Kind of like comic books of the time. Yeah, they would have been comic books, I guess, of because the time. Because they also but... had really, they had depictions and illustrations in them, too. That's kind of what made Penny Dreadfuls and these true crime stories a little bit different. Right. Yeah. Than news. So... I do like the idea of of Penny Dreadfuls. I think they're they're really interesting. We'll get to some uh, specific ones. So like literacy and capitalism definitely contributed to like the like how everybody was able to get their hands on these Penny Dreadfuls because they were pretty cheap. They were and like they were super sensationalized. Right. Um, so like the first ever um, Penny Blood published in 1836 was called uh, Lives of the Most Notorious High Women. Footpads and Incorporated. So it was the story. It, the story continued over sixty issues, which is a, that's an intense amount of. Yeah, that's a long time, especially in that that time. Yeah, and like it was eight pages each. So like that's that's intense. Like what's eight times sixty? Like that's a lot of work being put into. Four hundred and eighty um, pages. Yeah. So I mean, it was essentially a book. You know. Yeah, almost a novel. Mm-hmm. Also, side note, Sweeney Todd was first introduced in a Penny Dreadful called The String of Pearls, a domestic romance. So Okay. So yeah, that kinda gives you an idea of, of like what the general theme and like the content. What, yeah, what what the <laughs> what the feel of like what they were would be similar to a Sweeney Todd story. Yeah. Without the music. Yeah, for sure. Um so in eighteen hundred there was a shift made to detective work novels. And so I think this is kind of where our, true crime as we know it gets to be gets gets to be known you know right um so part of the reason for this was because of the ratcliffe highway murders which are pretty gruesome <laughs> there's a link that you can read if you want to um so the guy who did it was like it's very anyways basically it's two murders that happened on the same street um pretty horrific one of them killed an entire family um dad mom and an infant and then another one a few blocks down i think it ends up being like seven people were murdered and the only survivor oh gosh what was her name let's see uh her name i can't remember it but she um she only survived because she was asleep through the entire attack um Huh. Was so the, was this a young girl? Yes, or? 14 at the time. Um so let me see if I can find it in my notes. Um se- she was a survivor of the second attack. Um Catherine Stillwell. 14-year-old Kitty Stillwell. Um That name sounds familiar. It does, but I it's interesting because like they think that the only reason that she survived was because she was asleep. Because in the first attack, an, an infant was, was 
murdered. And these murders were incredibly, like, heinous and brutal at the time. And, um, like, very, very violent. Right. And um, the perpetrator was actually um, interrupted during... And that also may be why Kitty Stilwell um, survived, was because in the second attack he was interrupted to the point to where the one of the victims was still... Um, like, they were, their bodies were not, like, what's it, what's it called? Rigor mortis had not set in. Like, they were still warm right. kind of thing. So, that's kind of when everything shifted to, like, the detective work. Because at the time these murders occurred, there were only two police forces in London. Um, one was the Bow Street Runners, and the other one was... Um, and so, like, the Bow Street Runners, runners were confined to the West End of London. And then the... Um, Marine police force, which was kind of, they were there to kind of work on the theft, like on, on the docks, essentially. Right. So there were only two police forces during this time. And so it was really, really, it kind of was eye-opening at the time that they really needed more police, you know, forces and, you know, more help in, in situations like this. So I think that kind of what is what caused the shift. Hmm. So um, was this kind of a way to, to recruit people into law enforcement or... I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I don't know. Like, at this time, because the, the murders happened in 1811, I think. Um, yeah, I think they happened in 1811. So, they they didn't have many. It wasn't until, let's yeah, see, in my... Eight, December 1811. Yeah. So, it's not until 1829 that more, uh, the first centrally organized police force is the, called the Metropolitan Police was established. So it's not until a long time later, and I think it's because these things are happening and there's not people to solve them. Like, there's not... This stuff just goes, goes unpunished and, like, almost unnoticed because... Because there's just too much to keep up with. Yeah. So, hmm. um, so in 1827, Thomas Quincy published an essay called On Murder Considered One of the Most Fine Arts, or One of the Fine Arts. Um, it focused less on the murders themselves and more about kind of how we as humans view and talk about murder. Right. So, so I, it was more like a sociological study on mm-hmm. how people's we, interest in murder. Yeah. And I think that kind of also shifted some of the, some of the focus mm-hmm. to like true crime writing as we know it today. Right. Um, also I'll pause and say that, um, in 1929, that was the same year that Lizzie Borden uh, killed her father and stepmother in Massachusetts. So 1829. Yes, yes, I said 1929. Yeah. 18, 1829. So this was like just after um, Thomas DeQuincy wrote this paper. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, then a couple years later, the Lizzie poli- Borden, mm-hmm. which some of you may have heard of her, may not. Some of you may just realize, oh, Lizzie Borden, that sounds familiar. Um yeah, so she, what did she do? She hacked up her family, right? With so, well, she was acquitted. She, she was, was uh, that doesn't mean she didn't do it. I know, but allegedly, <laughs> um, uh, her father and stepmother, so her stepmother's name was Abby, her father's name, I can't remember her father's name, but um, uh, let's see, her, I want to say they were like bludgeoned to death, essentially. Bludgeoned? Yes. Oh, I, I, thought, well, I thought she hacked him up with a... So an they axe. they did find they did find an axe and the father's eye was this is going to be gruesome guys <laughs> the father's eye was um, chopped cleanly in half so it, it it appears to be like an attack while he was sleeping so there was an axe but they don't really know because the the 
the stepmother died sooner than her father did. Not by much, but probably about 20, 30 minutes apart. So there was, and her, the stepmother's wounds were a little bit different than the father's. Right. So, and it was quite a gruesome scene. So, right. um, and so there's, there's like this little rhyme that goes with it that, and this may be why it sounds familiar to you. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but so there's a rhyme that goes with the whole Lizzie Borden story and it, and it starts off, um, it goes like this. Uh, so Lizzie Borden took an ax and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Yes. So I think like <laughs> Not quite accurate, but there were quite a lot of wounds. Okay, um, that was going to be my next question: yeah, was yeah. are those numbers accurate? No, those number because her her stepmother was, and it was her stepmother. Not so her she mom. was actually chopped only thirty eight times. <laughs> it's was this was a gross exaggeration. Yeah, no, like we have no <laughs> idea. Like, and I think at the time too, in eighteen twenty nine, the um, the auto uh, one thing I read too, the autopsies <laughs> were done on their kitchen table. In the, Borden. the, in the Borden's house. Yes. So they just didn't even waste any time. They just plopped them right down on the table yep. and said, let's... Let's let's figure out what happened. Although I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory. I mean... I don't know. But, yeah. So, that's pretty... that the In that same year... Right. We developed a police force. Or not we, but, like, you know, there was a centrally. And so they started popping up after, like, the first... After 19... Nope. 1829. I keep saying right. 1929. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so let's see. According to Wikipedia, um, in 1889, a Scottish lawyer named William Roughhead wrote and published essays for six decades about notable British murder trials that he attended. So So this one guy wrote, he, he published essays for six decades. So 60 years this guy was writing. Mm -hmm. Also while he was being a lawyer. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It's a long time. Yeah, for sure. So, and that's kind of another iteration of, like, true crime. You know, the the court procedural part of things, you know? Right. And then, also according to Wikipedia, um, an American by the name of Edmund Pearson, who has been hailed as kind of, like, the father of true crime, really, um, published a series of true crime stories into books that started with um, studies in murder in 1924. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of when he started uh, his his story, and so like before they were collected into books, he was in published in magazines like Liberty, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair. Um, he also covered the Borden case, but his hmm. um, his publishing like what's it called like he, him being published in these reputable magazines kind of distinguished him from tabloid journalism and kind of created. Um, a classier way and like a more refined way to report on right. these kind of crimes. Okay. So he kind of brought it into the more acceptable, like it's not quite so trashy. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's not just like a look at all this stuff that this person did. And it's so right. awful. It kind of like, gave it some merit. Like, Oh, maybe there is some actual worthwhile content here for the right. general public for us to kind of look at, be aware of like, and I mean, I think this study, right? Exactly. I think it's really, it's, you know, you got to peek behind the curtain a little bit to be able to see, like, what we need to look out for. Kind of going back to, like, the evolutionary purposes for why we're, like, like what do, what do we need to watch out for? You know, what do we need, what signs do we have to... Right. So, I think that's, that's interesting. Um, and so, following, like, the natural flow of, of history, um, more books were, were written and then followed, of course, by TV and film. 
And this is where I kind of want to pause um, and say that, in my personal opinion, I feel like the Ted Bundy case was a huge factor in the why true crime is a big thing. Yeah. Because Yes, because um, it was the first nationally televised trial. It happened in 1979. And I think... This was the first one? Mm-hmm. Yep. Huh. Yep. Well, I thought Manson was before that. Um, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. And I don't feel like the Manson trial... I don't know. Because I think Ted Bundy, like, the, the cameras were in the courtroom themselves. Right. And I don't know if they were for the Manson... No, and I, I feel like the Manson murders happened after that. They happened in, what, Manson family murders happened in the 80s? Um, no. Uh, the Manson trial. When did they happen? Let's see. Trial, trial. Mm-hmm. Hold while we do some fact-checking, guys. Because, I like, everything I've read said that the Ted Bundy case was the first nationally televised trial. Uh, here it's showing here that Charles Manson... Uh, in 1971, he was convicted of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder for the deaths of seven people. Hmm. But I don't think his trial... Maybe his trial wasn't televised. Well, it maybe it was, but not nationally. Right. Because, uh, Ted, you, you know what I mean? Like, Ted Bundy was... Bro- it was broadcast all over, like, right. everywhere. So that may be the distinction oh, okay. that they're making. That makes sense. So that does make sense, too. Because it was, it was hard to, like get national coverage on one that's true well and i think too like that's a good point now that now that you brought that up because the manson murders happened in one place ted bundy's murders happened all All over over the country yeah yeah all over so that's why like in my personal opinion i feel like that's kind of that has that had a part to play in like the resurgence of and like the, the new fascination with true crime right but I did want to talk about other um, popularly televised trials, too, because, and t- kind of take a break and talk about, like, the TV aspect of crimes. Right. So, um, in 91, Jeffrey Dahmer was uh, tried and convicted for killing 17 men and boys, like men, men and boys. 1991? Uh, like yeah. That, I always thought it was, like, way earlier than that. I was thinking he was, like... 70s and 80s like the rest of those guys Mm-mm. no it's pretty it's pretty so i was alive when Dahmer was <laughs> yep that's terrifying yep 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 <laughs> we'll get to some more serial killers that yeah that are a little bit yeah um so he was also as some of you may know um into cannibalism and he also performed uh various acts of necrophilia on his victims Ooh. So after he was convicted, he did die in 1994 um, because another inmate um, beat him to death while he was in prison. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, So in 90, like, so the trial went from 93 to 94 for the Menendez brothers, and that was also televised. They were convicted of murdering their parents. Um, They claimed that it was in self-defense after, like, years and years of abuse. Oh, that's not how self-defense works. Well, (laughs) I think it was, you know, kind of like a, you, you know, crime of passion kind of thing. That's more retribution than self-defense. Right, right. Um, So (laughs) they, like, I think they appealed for a really long time. Um, And I I read somewhere while I was researching this um, that they were in, like, housed in separate prisons. And they, like, recently, within the last, like, five, ten years or so, had a reunification. And they were able to, like, see each other again. The brothers. Mm, That sounds... (laughs) 
interesting, right? Not a great idea. (laughs) So um, another, so I personally don't know a whole lot about the OJ trial, but it was in 95. It was a huge deal. But I know, know yeah, I know it was a huge deal. I was only five years old at the time. It was one of those nationally televised. Mm -hmm. I I I thought it was odd, and I guess it's because he was recently released, but. Just here lately, in the last couple of years, there's been so many documentaries and shows mm-hmm. come on just about the OJ trial again. I think he released a documentary, and I think it's interesting because I know that he was acquitted in the criminal case, but he lost. Yeah, if the, it don't fit, you must acquit. Yeah, um, he lost the civil case because he was already famous, and he was therefore like profiting off of the death of his wife. Wait a minute. So that's what he that's what he went to prison for, right? Yes, the civil trial. The civil. I mm-hmm. didn't know you could go to prison for a civil trial. I I don't know. I thought that was mostly just fines. I don't. It may have been. Well, see, I was going to say this too. He was out on probation, and he was like signing autographs and things like that, which is a huge no no. Oh yeah, and yeah. making money from yeah. yeah he was I ma- and so because about it, that. yeah he cannot make money off because he's famous right from like from, this mer- like well okay. He's famous from being in the NFL. He was a great football player. <laughs> but. Who happened to kill his wife. Well. And I think. He, it happens. Didn't he kill her, the person that they were, I think they were having an, I don't know. I don't, I'm speaking out of turn. But um, there was a, a man, victim, a male victim as well of his. From OJ? Maybe oh, not. Maybe it was just, know. maybe it was just, maybe it was because he believed that she was having an affair. I don't know. Welcome to our date night, guys. But um, where we just kind of shoot the shoot the breeze. Are you googling? I was going to, but so let's move on to Casey Anthony. So oh, I remember this. I remember this one. I was eleven um, in two thousand in two thousand eleven. Yeah. We were not eleven. We were twenty one. Twenty one. I always <laughs> go with I go with the years, and so it's like like in what was it two thousand one? I was eleven, so. Yeah, because I was born in 90. Um, So she was accused of murdering her two-year-old daughter, Kaylee. She was actually found not guilty, which I find super interesting. Yeah. Because I remember this case, and I remember thinking, all of this evidence, because Casey Anthony... So this was the one she she had... She was found in the trunk of her car, right? Well, no. There were remains. There were, like, the dog. There was, like, um, DNA evidence and, like, scent from a dog, like, and things like that found in the trunk. So, like... So, the, cadaver dogs. Yes, correct. Right, so c- cadaver dogs... Alerted. Alerted them to... At the trunk. So, there was... There were human remains in her car yes. at some point. And then there were D- there was DNA evidence DNA of DNA evidence of her daughter. Yeah, in the trunk. So... So, <laughs> at some point, her dead daughter was in the trunk. Yes, Kaylee was in the trunk. And so... I feel and that wasn't suspicious. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I don't know how she got acquitted. I... You say here that she was found not guilty. Yes. Not necessarily acquitted. Well, that's true. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, basically, um, another interesting fact about the Casey Anthony case is that Casey Anthony's mother called the police. Casey Anthony's mother filed the missing report, missing persons report on Kaylee and said, I haven't, I haven't seen her in, like, six weeks. I haven't right. seen my granddaughter in six weeks. Yeah. So... Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm just going to say, and some of you may know, some of you may remember this case. Um, I, I'm like 
90% sure the only reason she got away with it is just because she's an attractive woman. Yes. That's true. That that plays I think that's been a theme throughout history too. You know, like back in the in those circulars we were talking about, they were they would like, "Oh my gosh, like men are so awful and men are like they deserve divine retribution for these crimes." But then whenever they were talking about women in those little penny press, you know, circulars, they were just like, "Oh man, that's just so sad that she's so depraved that way." Yeah. So like there's been a historical Nobody wants to believe that these precious M- mothers essentially, you know, women like, mothers yeah. They're so vulnerable, they can't possibly yeah. have done anything that terrible. Yeah. So the next um, the next really popularly televised kind of case was George Zimmerman in 2013, which I also Ooh, remember this I remember one. I that one very... I, I followed that one a good yes. bit. Um, so for those of you who rem- like, remember or don't, um, George Zimmerman was Neighborhood Watch, right? Yeah, he was on the Neighborhood Watch in Florida. And he followed... Uh, I don't remember where he lived in Florida. But he followed Tra- a young black male. Young black male, yeah. Trayvon, so, Trayvon Martin. Trayvon Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, he was wearing a hoodie and he... Was on the phone with his girlfriend, I believe, at the time, Trayvon was, and said there's... you know. Yeah, and he was just like... From what I understand, he was he was just like... He was in a, an unfamiliar neighborhood or something. Like he... The neighborhood was a very close-knit... Right. Kind of neighborhood, and he was just kind of walking around. Yeah. Zimmerman just... Shot him. Well, (laughs) there was a lot more to it, Um, but basically (sighs) he followed him, chased him around, Mm -hmm. um, even circled back to come back to him, and then when he finally found him and confronted him, he just shot him. Yeah. And that's kind of based off of Florida's stand your ground law and all that stuff. And so... I will say that the there were because George Zimmerman is a Hispanic male. There were a lot of um, like racial tensions in this trial, but I will say now <sighs> George Zimmerman was acquitted, um, and he was in court again for I want to say domestic violence against his partner uh, yeah. not that long ago. But now um, he is suing, George Zimmerman is truing, suing Trayvon Martin's family and attorney for damages because he, since the trial, he has been in constant fear for his what? For his life. Constant <laughs> and, f- fear of his life for what? And I mean, he has like PTSD. He, he, apparently he knows how this stand your ground works. What's he got to be afraid of? Yeah. And he's, what a peach, right? Like what a peach. Like he is suing the victim. Because the trial was too traumatic for him. The victim's family. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I didn't know about that. That yeah. is just utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a rabbit. So you get to kill somebody and then and then you're found not guilty, first of all, in a totally unjustified murder. Yeah. And then you, and then you turn around and sue your victim's family yeah and here's the thing though like i definitely get like what a piece of garbage mob mentality right like you know the like how much of this is like mob mentality that people are just like we know george zimmerman actually did it and he's guilty and it was intentional and blah blah versus you're just a really problematic person who continually gets in trouble for not being able to follow the rules yeah right like and now you want to make money off of yeah off of your victims, like I or victim, like I just don't understand. <laughs> okay, but ma- back to the history of true crime. So, uh, and this is kind of where where it ends and kind of explodes is in two thousand fourteen. 
So Serial, uh, the podcast, bro- breaks the record of like the most downloads in the most hour. Like it absolutely, ba- it basically breaks the internet. It's really? A, yes, it's a podcast, um, and that's kind of when this new era has, in 2014, this new era just kind of takes over with true crime podcasts. Right. And so I think that's kind of where we are now, and I'm, I'm curious to see kind of where it goes. And like what, what's going to happen next, you know, in the true right. crime genre, so, yeah. So Serial... Did they did they focus specifically on serial killers or was it just a catchy name? Um, that's a great question. I have it pulled up right here. I have it on my on my podcast app. Um, so it 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 does it, and I think that's something that I read too. I'm calling back to that about how like the serial nature of crime. And how crime mm. has, like, and just how, how serial it is, even if it's not, like, a serial killer. Like, it just keeps going. It has, yeah. And so, um, the just the, the basic info, info for serial um, is a podcast creator of This American Life, hosted by Sarah Koenig. Um, serial unfolds one story, a true story, over the course of a whole season. And that's also why, why it's called Serial. Oh. The show follows the plot and characters wherever they lead through many surprising twists and turns. Uh, Sarah won't know what happens at the end of the story until she gets there and not long before you get there with her. So, like, that's kind of, I mean, it, it's intense, so it's, like, episodic. Right. So, it's it's pretty pretty interesting. So, that that podcast kind of explodes the market and everyone realizes, oh, this is something that a lot of people are interested in, you know, so. And then they just took off. Yep. Now there's... Gosh, I wonder how many there are. There are like hundreds of just true crime podcasts mm-hmm. and shows and stuff now. Yeah, for sure. Um, but gen- the general theme, um, and I would say like the, the biggest fascination of people um, with true crime is this aspect of serial killers. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what kicks it off because that's one of the most interesting topics um in true crime i would i would think it's the most uh, interesting to the general public yeah of like these it's almost like they're a certain like a different kind of breed of human yeah uh, serial killers you saying that actually reminds me it's so funny that that it reminds me of this but it reminds me of a quote from harry potter right whenever it says like whenever what's his uh what's his name the professor is talking to tom riddle and it's like Talking about horcruxes, right? It's the same kind of concept where it's just like, you know, oh, yeah. to split Professor your stuff. Yeah, whenever he's just like, you know, to do this once, like to, to commit murder, right? To do this one time, but you're talking about seven? You know, like how Professor Slughorn is like, oh my gosh. And so I feel like that's, that's it's weird that that's where my brain went. But like, I feel like that's, it's a similar concept, you know, yeah. where it's like, you can take a life once, like that's intense. But like, to do this over and over again in repeated fashion is just unthinkable yeah you know it's and i think you're right like the the fascination with serial killers lies there you know in that like i mean how could they do this you know so i do have some serial killers um on the list um so so first let's talk about what what makes makes a serial killer okay so there are a few definitions kind of loosely but basically um, killing three or more people, usually characterized by some sort of psychological gratification from the killing, with a cooling off period in between. So the FBI defines it um, 
as a series of two or more murders committed as separated uh, or as separate events, usually but not always by one offender acting alone. So, like the cooling off period, um, the separate of separate events and kind of like the the cooling off period makes the distinction between uh, between them and spree killers. Spree right. killers. So are, a spree killer just being like you just go out and just kill somebody whoever, and just whenever, like immediately like, just killing people. Yeah. Rather right than like stopping and like planning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I see, and I had always heard this too that like the definition was like you have to kill three or more people because mm-hmm. like some shows and movies and stuff you'll see like it, they wait until like they have two and then they have to wait till the third one before they can classify it as a serial killer but you're saying the fbi defines it as two or more mm-hmm. well i think that that has to do with like um behavioral analysis like because if you can have so it gets it's it's to the point where back in the day, right? They, they couldn't recognize patterns because they didn't know there were psychological patterns. And so now I think it's like, if one looks like another one, they kind of are like, hmm. Walks like a duck, talks, talks like, like a duck. duck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that that might be why then the two or more. serial murderer. Right, exactly. Okay. Um, I think that's where the two, like, so like they're, they're kind of looking for the pattern, right. you know? So side note, um, that kind of goes... Toward the premise of the show Mindhunter. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is a fantastic show. Agreed. Very good. But moving on. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of what a serial killer is. So let's talk a little bit about um, just some notable uh, serial killers throughout. As notable as these people can be. But <laughs> yeah. Some, um, of them, some of these you've probably heard of before. Yeah. So, um, and one of them you probably haven't, because this one, the last one's probably not that popular. But, mm. um, so H.H. H. Holmes, the original, H. H. Holmes. like the OG, the OG. Well, of American serial killers, because we all know of Jack the Ripper, he was a serial killer, but. Yeah, but H. nobody H. caught him. Right. H.H. H. Holmes was um, the, the OG American serial killer. So, he confessed to 27 murders, um, but some of those 27 people were alive when he confessed to killing them. Um, so only nine of those 27 have been confirmed. Oh. Um, and I was, right. I was reading up on it and a lot of you may know him as, um, he's linked with the world's fair. Um, yeah. Yeah. In that, like, so like there's a book called the devil in the white city and it talks about the world's fair, um, coming to Chicago, maybe. Um, and it talks about like how Holmes, um, buys a drugstore. It kind of parallels the two, like preparing the city for <clears throat> the world's fair and like Holmes preparing like his quote unquote murder castle that he makes. So yeah. it's, yeah, he buys a drugstore and then he wants to build like a third floor f- as a hotel for the world's fair. Cause he's like the world's fashion, it's coming. Like I want to profit off of this, but it never really turns into that. Right. It's more like a haven for, um, like his... His, um, oh, what's the word? Fraudulent dealings. Because he kind of, like, swindles people out of, like, stuff. Mm-hmm. So not only is he a murderer, he also is a thief. <laughs> right. So this idea of the murder castle, though, I've, I've heard about, I've heard a little bit about this. So basically he, so he buys this drugstore, he does a lot of construction on it, he builds, like, a ton of, like, well, like, secret rooms and stuff, right? And, like, secret passageways and stuff so that he can, like, murder people in this... It's hotel very, slash drugstore. It's very Winchester Mystery House, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's, I was reading up on it and apparently there's all of these rumors about how like doors to nowhere, stairwells to nowhere, stair, stairwells, especially 
to shoots that go down to the basement that have vats of acid. Like, yeah, pretty intense, like intense stuff. But I also read that around the time, like a lot of the houses had laundry shoots and there was con- construction constantly happening. So a lot yeah, of this but not could... most houses didn't have their laundry shoots go down to a <laughs> vat of acid. <laughs> I don't know. Like some of the stuff may have been unfounded, right? They may just be rumors. I don't know if the vats of acid were proven or not. Right. I just know that. Well, I had heard that before, too. Yes, though. right. So we don't know how much of this is, like, factual or how much of this is, like, the police who went in there realized that this man had killed nine people and got heebie-jeebies. Cause, right. Because, you know, I don't know. But it is pretty interesting about how, like, he was... I mean, like I said, it's very Winchester Mystery House. Kind of, like, you know, just got all of the these, like, doors and passageways and, I mean... It's it's insane. It's insanity. So, hmm. yeah, pretty pretty cool stuff. Like I say, cool stuff, but very like fascinating to think about this man constructing like a lair, really. Yeah. You know, I think that's kind of what what made people like made him kind of feel like a boogeyman. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so onward. Mm-hmm. So H H Holmes, the OG. Mm-hmm. Uh, next we've got here Gary Ridgeway. Yes, and most people may know him better as the Green River Killer. Oh, okay. That sounds um, a little more familiar. Mm-hmm. So he has forty nine confirmed victims. Three Dang. of the yes, three of those are um, Jane Doe's, and much like um, so he's suspected of like t- at least twelve more. Um, he did confess during trial and that's something that's like a sticking point for me (laughs) where I'm kind of just like, if you're caught and you did it, just say you did it. Um, but he did confess and he is very, very open about Mm -hmm. the things that he did. Right. Um, and much like. So, well, I want to, so you say he had 49 confirmed victims, Mm -hmm. um, and then suspected of 12 more. Was there any kind of pattern to his murders? Like, was there any sort of, um, like MO? Well, um, mostly like hitchhikers, sex workers, yeah. kind of thing. All like all females. Um, all females. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, and did he like kill them all in like the same kind of way? Or? Um. Yes. Yes. That's he typically did. like a, a theme. Mm-hmm. Um. Yes, and much like Jeffrey Dahmer, um, necrophilia kind of acts as well. Mm-hmm. During, you know, for his victims. Um. I believe Gross. his. Yeah, his main method of um, of killing was uh, strangulation. If I'm not mistaken. That's pretty common, I think, especially against women. Right. Correct. Um, So, and he, yeah, he and Ted Bundy are actually really similar in that, like, strangulation kind of was Ted Bundy's, um, like, first, like, kind of his evolution. Right. He started there, and then he moved to more more violent means. Right. So, Um, on to Ted Bundy then. Yes. uh, Ted Bundy, I see here, he was executed in 1989, but his, his crimes happened more in the 70s, right? Yes. So he started, um, Ted Bundy, I have a point of contention with Ted Bundy because everyone says he was like so smart. Like he was just a... He was a pretty smart guy, I think, but everybody says, always talks about how he was so attractive. I know. And, and very suave. And I mean... I don't know if you guys have seen any pictures of Ted Bundy, but I don't think he looks that good. Yeah. I don't know. It, um... Yeah. But, I mean, nonetheless, he, he was very persuasive, I guess. Yes. Because a lot of his trial, like, during the during the case, when they were looking for, um, you know, the murderers, or the murderer, uh, he was at the police station a lot, like, helping the police look for... Yes, because he actually um, was, uh, where was it? Um, he was part of, like, a crime watch. Mm-hmm. 
he was like helping out. He was just like, oh, yeah. Like, so he what? was helping out, trying to solve his own murders. Yes, he also was. Which I'm, a, I'm assuming um, a lot of that was probably a misdirect. <laughs> oh, for sure. That's and that's pretty common in some for some people. But he also worked at the suicide prevention hotline alongside Anne Rule, who wrote a book about him, and she is a very famous uh, true crime writer. Oh yeah, I've seen. Yeah, I've I seen actually have hers. the book. Uh, the Stranger Beside Me. That's about her relationship with... To Ted Bundy. Ted, Ted Bundy. Interesting. Um, yeah, their friendship. Um, and there's also a Netflix documentary about... like It's not a yeah, documentary. Yeah, the, the Confession Tapes, yes, right? Yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. And then there's the the new movie, the, with, the drama movie with Zac like Efron. Efron. Yeah. I have a question, though. So Ted Bundy, did he? Did they have any kind of name for him before he was actually caught? Like no. the such-and-such such murderer? Mm-mm, no. Okay. No, because his, his, um, his crimes were so spread out... So they weren't sure um, they that weren't, it was the same they, person? They couldn't really connect them. The only ones hmm. that they knew were like the Florida, I think it's Omega Chi house, like at the sorority house. They knew that that was the same one and that was related to another one in the same town kind of thing. Right. Like they knew that like these two are, these two And that's kind of, once they pieced that together, that's kind of what led them mm-hmm. to, to catch him, right? Because then yeah. they were like, oh, oh this was similar to well, that here's one. The thing, like, then they pieced it together to realize like, oh, all of these murders are connected. Yeah. And who went to all of these places? Right. So another thing, like people say, oh, he was so smart. The man had all of the, his murder, murder tools in the trunk of his car. Didn't he have two, like, he had like, like murder kits placed everywhere? No, no, no. That was Israel Keys. Israel Keys. Okay. Yeah, that's another guy, Israel Keys. But very similar. Israel Keys um, worked on. Um... We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah. So um, the next one I want to talk about is Albert Fish, but I don't really want to talk about him for that long. Um, so he primarily murdered and tortured young children. So mm. he has three known victims, which. Um, Obviously, so he just barely makes the cut, though. right? Um, he has five more suspected victims again, all children. Um, he was like, he is probably the worst that I can think of just because of like, I'm, I don't want to go into it on the podcast, but like, just because of like the manner of his crimes, like, just how awful they are, really, like, just how gruesome, yeah. So, especially, and I think, especially too, because it is like his children's were his children were victim, like, her. His victims were children. Right. Um, but he actually wrote a letter to the mother of his first victim. His first victim's name was Grace Budd. She was five at the time. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he wrote the mother a very, very detailed letter as to, like, what he did to Grace. Hmm. And, like, so he was also, like, not only was he into, like, torture and things like that, um, he was also into cannibalism. And so he... He detailed that in the note to right. the victim's mother. So, I mean, it's just incredibly heinous. Like, one of the worst that I could think of. That's messed up. Yeah. Um, so, I I have two more on the list. Uh, but if you want to talk about Israel Keys, we can. Cause yeah, he, just a little bit. I just uh, I just had heard a little bit about that. And I, I, was, I was thinking it was Ted Bundy. But so, so Israel Keys, what did he do? <clears throat> so, he was caught um, because he kidnapped... Um, a woman who was working at a coffee shop. I can't remember the state now that now that we're here, but um, I want to say her her name was Samantha. Interesting enough, that's my name. Um, he kidnapped her and um, <clears throat> he like drove her around to get money and like basically told her that he was going to like, oh, you're fine. I just need money. It's fine. So the mo of his crimes were, and he was very very sensitive. He had a child, um, a young a young daughter actually at the time of his arrest. And he was very sensitive to <clears throat> the details of what he what he did to his victim. So he wasn't very forthcoming with 
that he had he did admit that he did these things um but he did not admit like any necrophilic acts or anything like that he was like because of his daughter like he didn't want to do any of that but so he did what he did confess to having quote-unquote murder kits so he traveled a lot and he would like go to a city bury like the tools that he would need to perform his murder hide them somewhere and then whenever he went back sometimes months years later he would go get his kit and then and then murder somebody while he was there Mm -hmm. that's crazy yeah and he had so much foresight so he was caught for his last victim well yeah i do so you you say so much foresight so i'm just kind of looking over here it says um he did plan murder his murders long ahead of time Mm -hmm. and took extraordinary action to avoid detection his internet Um, search history was primarily missing persons right so then you say his internet search history so that would have been fairly recent Oh, yeah, he was caught in 2012, I think. I think. I'm pretty sure that's when he was caught. He died in 2012. Oh, okay. December 2012, though, so that's <clears throat> Yeah. So, 78. I believe uh, he, he committed, committed a long series of he... rapes and murders until his capture in 2012. Yeah, I believe he um, completed suicide, so. Um, but, uh, so, just a couple of things. It says here, un- unlike most serial killers... Um, he didn't really have a victim profile, yes, so he so, didn't really yes. look for the same types of things. It was just kind of who was available. I think that's kind of what makes him kind of scary is because, like, it was literally anybody. Yeah. Like, he had victims. He didn't have a type. He had no victimology whatsoever. Hmm. Um, this is where I got... Okay, so I see here. This is why I was confused because it says here, Keyes admired Ted Bundy. Yep. And shared several similarities with him. Um they do have some some differences here, but that's I think that's what I'd heard then. He he yeah. was kind of like a role model. Yeah, which that's intense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No but um, yeah, so Israel Keys, I actually did not learn about him until I want to say late last year. Like I I he was not on my radar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah, his his last. I mean, all of obviously all of his his crimes are you know, awful. But his last crime, like the one that got him caught was very, it's pretty detailed in, um, uh, it kind of showcases just how cold he was. Like they're all very like cold, but it really kind of showcases his personality. Um, so I have two more, which people probably don't know of, but I included them because they were either caught or committed their crimes in Nashville. Oh, so, uh, Bruce Mendenhall, he had six, victims possibly more and one for sure like one that he was absolutely caught of um or caught for um so all of his victims were throughout the south um he got caught for um one of them that was committed here in tennessee um he picked up a sex worker and then he like basically he he basically he was a long-haul trucker so he basically just murdered them in the cab of his truck really right um, and so that's the one that he got, um, he got caught for is the one that happened here. So they, they caught, they had, um, video surveillance footage of him picking up the sex worker and then they examined the cab of his truck and the cab of his truck was just covered in, in blood. And so they're just like, Hmm, you probably did this. So, uh, yeah. And then the next one is Paul Dennis Reed. So this one is kind of interesting. It's not your real, like real, it's not your usual serial killer. But um, he's also known as the fast food killer. He is convicted of felony homicide. So he killed seven people in the commission of three robberies across Clarksville and Nashville. Oh, so he was primarily like robbing some 
I'm assuming fast food restaurants. Yeah, which... Which, why would you... I mean, they're... Yeah. I like don't know. a terrible place to rob. Yeah. Um, and then we'll just kill some people yeah. in the in the process. In the process of, yeah, the, the okay. robbery. Um, so, and but, this, again, was Nashville, Clarksville area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So I wanted to also mention this. I haven't read the book, but I fa- I found, like, a little bit of information on it on um, Amazon. And there's a book called Monster City. Murder, Music, and Mayhem in Nashville's Dark Age. So it talks about how in the 70s, Nashville kind of became like a safe haven for serial killers. What? And essentially, because, it, and it talks about Paul Dennis Reed, and it talks about Bruce uh, Mendenhall, and it talks just because, I mean, those were both, those both happened in, I think, the 70s and 80s. And it talks about how, like, during that time, it makes more sense because in the 70s, that's also when, like, Golden State Killer. That's Ted Bundy. That's like when all of these things yeah. were happening, and like people they were, were everywhere. People were not communicating across state lines. Right. And I think, you know, other true crime lovers will know, like Samuel Little, he committed crimes in Kentucky and and Nashville and all this in Tennessee. So, I think it's, I don't know. Like I'm interesting. I'm interested to read the book and see kind of like what he talks about and how Nashville did become. It's by um, Michael Arntfield. So he's a former former police officer. So. Hmm. I find it pretty interesting. So, yeah. So that's those are our serial killers that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next thing we want to talk about is just kind of what type of genres of true crime there are. So they kind of yeah. like true crime is its own thing, but then it kind of breaks down into a bunch of different categories. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some of those? So the first one I've got is disappearances. Um, some really commonly known ones are like the... Amelia Earhart, right? Like, the the ones that bring conspiracy theories to life. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Amelia Earhart and her navigator, Fred Noonan, disappeared on her flight across the world. I didn't know that there was somebody else involved. Mm-hmm. A navigator. Yeah. Huh. I didn't either until I was looking this up. I um, think they just ran off together then. Probably. Would make sense. Um, another disappearance, which um, would probably fit, I would like to say, in the true crime category, is the Roanoke Colony. It's that's the one where they they went off and they just yeah. kind of disappeared. Yeah, like this. And this was this was weird. So the Roanoke Colony. Most of you probably have heard of this. If if not, so it was like uh, a Settlers. colony. Yeah, a settler colony. Um, where was it? Virginia, mm-hmm. Roanoke, Virginia. Yep. And it was kind of it was a very isolated village, anyways. But mm-hmm. it was kind of like. Was it an island? Oh, I don't know. Or was it just... I don't know, maybe. I don't know. I can't remember if it was an island or if it was just like this isolated village in the woods. Kind of like the village. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not Shyamalan. Yeah. Uh, but just... Th- so this village was just... Uh, there was just a lot of people there. And then all of a sudden, just one day, somebody, I guess, went to go visit there. And they were all gone. Yeah. The entire village was just... Gone. Empty. Yeah. No one left. Ghost town. Um, and... There was something, was there something written? Oh, yeah, I think there was something written on a tree somewhere. Yeah. I don't remember. Um, but, yeah, so that would that would be, those would be considered. Oh, and I also have um, the Malaysia Airlines Flight 370, which was, is kind of fascinating to me. It's, it's eerie. Yeah. You know, like the, a whole plane. I remember that. No, it was covered constantly for yeah. like a month a whole plane just gone um yeah and they never found any debris yep nothing, nothing. I, I don't understand how you lose an airplane but yeah that was crazy um and another another one that's semi-famous is um the disappearance of madeline mccann which this is the one that i was telling you about where the parents 
and some friends were, um, oh, where were they? They were vacationing and they had the the house, the condo that was right across from the pool. Oh, yeah, there was yeah, a, yeah. Or there was a restaurant right across from the pool and they would have somebody go check on the kids every 30 minutes yeah, or so. Yeah, so like these parents, they just left their kids. They were on vacation with like another family, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they left their kids in their condos. Mm-hmm. Now the resort left, had childcare. Yeah, so the resort yeah. had childcare and they just decided, no, no. I don't want to do that. I'm just going to leave them alone. Yeah. In a foreign place. Yeah. Because I think they were from Britain. Yeah. I think they, and they and were somewhere in, in like Mexico or something, right? Oh, wow. I don't like, it was like Cabo or. Maybe, yeah. I think it was Cabo. Yeah, something like that. Um, anyways, you know, some kind of tropical destination. Um, yeah. And so they just leave them in their condo all asleep. The kids. All, all the, the kids. All the kids. Yeah, there was like, what, five or six kids, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, young kids. And so they just left them there. Door unlocked. Mm-hmm. So that they didn't have to unlock it whenever they did their checks. So yeah. they did like a rotation. So because, also because they were so lazy, <laughs> they didn't want to have to unlock the door. They left their children asleep and purposefully left the door unlocked right. and then went across the street to the pool. It's not... Across, to the pool area. Well, across the pool to the restaurant. So it was. it's on the same oh, thing. okay. So across the pool to the restaurant. Yeah. So there was a restaurant like beachside and then there was a pool... And then the building, right? Yeah. So it's beach, restaurant, pool, building. Right. And they so, were at the restaurant. And then, spoiler alert, one of the children ended up going missing. Who could have saw that coming? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But. So that one's pretty, that's a pretty, like, famous disappearance. And unfortunately, most of these go to, like, either the unsolved category, which we'll kind of talk about, um, or murders. Right. Like right. If so they, when they go missing, something's got to happen to them eventually. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of like, that's one sub, subcategory of true crime. So those are disappearances. Yeah. Next one. Bombings. Bombings. Now, so this a, a lot of you have probably heard of some, Most of, of, these, some of these, yeah. some of these bombings. Um, but there's been a lot, especially throughout the last, I would say 50 years or so, mm-hmm. uh, bombings are, have been, have been huge. Yeah. Um, so, so one of the, the <clears> biggest, so this one, like yeah. the biggest one. I think as everybody far as knows. damages, like oh, the, yeah. the, the most impactful bombing uh, was the the Oklahoma City bombing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's pretty pretty intense. Like, yeah. So it happened in 1995. Timothy McVeigh bombed um, a federal complex building. So basically, a bunch of federal workers. Yeah, it was um, just like some kind of government building. Yeah. Um, I think it was one of those. That just had like just just a general. It had just like a bunch of different governmental mm-hmm. departments, like yeah. mm-hmm. IRS and just a bunch of different things yeah um and so he just well he he like set up a van right he like he like rigged up a van Mm -hmm. and parked it under the building in Mm -hmm. like a parking complex yep and then it just it went off and it blew up like half the building like it literally like and it damaged half of the building off. off Yeah, it damaged it damaged 300 buildings total like that's how big the blast was and like it but it's, that's how like that's how powerful it, it literally like split, split this bu- building. Thing. Yeah. And so cuz I remember seeing photos and video like where there was like half of it was gone. You could like see the floors and yeah. like a, it was it was like you just cut a building, building in half, half and was just like looking at the diagram yeah. or something. And like it's so 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 like it gets me like choked up sometimes because like that federal building also had a daycare for its yeah. workers. And so it's like oh like so awful. He committed the crime. He was um, a Gulf War veteran, and he committed the crime as revenge 
against the government for the seed, like the um, seizes and like the stuff of Waco. Oh, that's right. So yeah, I forgot that those were connected. Um, so it was about the the Davidians. Yeah. In in Waco when about, that, like, the, the whole yeah. standoff with the FBI. Yeah. Yeah, he was he did it as revenge for for that. And I think it, there was one other thing. It was just basically he it was revenge for government overreach in his mind. Right. So yeah. just the government's getting a little too big for their britches, so I'll go blow some stuff up. Yeah. Oh, quite that quite like sad. A reasonable. Yeah. Reaction. Very stable young man. Anyway, so um, our next one, uh, <laughs> yeah. our next bombing, um the Unabomber. Mhm. So, a lot of you have probably heard this term before, but may not have actually known any of the details of what the actual case involved. But yeah. So, he either hand-delivered or mailed 16 bombs. 16 bombs. Mm-hmm, to and a lot of these were like, pipe bombs. Yes. And they did to universities, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and one and, of them... And, and, and that's where you get the unibomber, so like uni, like university yeah. bomber. Yeah. Um, and this guy's named Ted Kaczynski. Right. Kavinsky, yeah. Kaczynski. Kaczynski, that's it. Kaczynski. Um, so and he like his his bombs like evolved yeah. over time. Um, and he he took extreme care as you should when you're building a bomb, right? Like if you're dealing with explosives, you take extreme care. So like they evolved over time. Um, and one of the bombs was actually sent to Vanderbilt, here in Tennessee, here in mm-hmm. Nashville. So. I, Oh, so just fact check right quick. It's actually not uni bomber. It's una bomber. U N A. Oh. B O M B R. I misspelled that. Um, so then now I don't know where that name come from. Then I have no but, idea. Um, born nineteen forty two. So. I love the real time fact of, checking. Yeah, I just wanted to look. You at, know me. I like just talking. So nineteen seventy one. You moved to a remote cabin. Um. Oh, University and Airline Bomber. That's where it comes from. Oh, you, so you were so right. it started off it started off with the the FBI acronym of U N A B O M um and that's kind of where it came from. So University you right. and Airline Bomber. Um so that was that's what the FBI started and that's how it came from. Cool. So, um one thing that I wanted to point out about the Unibomber is um so he did not leave any fingerprints on his bombs, so which yeah, I he was like very thorough. Yeah, and like when they when they found his place, it was like a it's like a lab. Yes, and here's another interesting fact: is latent prints that they found on like letters mm-hmm. of his did not match his own fingerprints. Really? Yes. And so that's that's one thing. So he he like sent letters, right? Mm-hmm. And he was one of the ones, and he kind of like. He kind of started the the trend of like where he would make the letters with the cutouts. Was that him? I don't know. With like the cutout letters Maybe. pasted on. I I thought that was, I thought that was his letters. Maybe not. But, I don't know. You may be but right. So so where did these fingerprints come from? Like just the letters that he, that he wrote or whatever, and like no, they, I mean like so they they we weren't his fingerprints. We don't know. But we don't know whose they were. Yeah, no, like they just didn't match his, and oh, that's, that's like really weird. interesting. Yeah. Also, there's a rumor that. He, um, while he was in prison, he befriended Timothy McVeigh. Wow. Yeah. Oklahoma City bomber. Yeah. And uh, Ramsey Youssef. And Ramsey Youssef was one of the um, people responsible for the bombing of the World Trade Center in 1993. Okay. So before yeah. 9-11, about almost a decade earlier, there mm-hmm. was another bombing at the World Trade Center. 
Um, and so this similar uh, name Ramsey Yusuf. He yeah. bombed. Similar method as Timothy McVeigh, actually. Right. He like placed. It was a van. Was it in a van mm-hmm. still? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So placed it like underneath, um, and then it exploded underneath the World Trade Center. Yep. Um, so yeah, those are. Um, oh, and then I wanted to also mention the 16th Street um, Baptist Church bombing. So um, yeah, I've heard about this one. Yeah, that happened in 1963, and um, uh, Robert E. Shambliss, I think, was the perpetrator. Um, it was a very, it was a civil civil rights hub. So I mean, it was a, a hate crime. Right. Um, I mean, I would. All of these are probably hate crimes, but you know what I mean. These, um, and it actually killed four people and injured. It ripped through a wall of the church, oh, wow. and killed four people and injured twenty people inside. So, um, yeah, I wanted to mention that just because, like, I think that's that's also kind of a subsect of true crime that doesn't get talked about a lot, mm-hmm. like the racial component and like hate crime, right? You know, and this one happened to be a bombing. So, and it happened. It was in Birmingham. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um. So our next topic, our next subcategory is mass shootings, which I didn't, I kind of listed a few, but I didn't really like get any stats on them because it's kind of hard to keep up. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <sighs> These days, so, there's one that happens like every other day or yeah. so. Um, and then also it's just really a sore subject for a lot of people. So just some of the, just kind of a quick rundown, like mass shootings, um, is there a is there a qualifier for for it to be considered a mass shooting? Isn't it like five or more people? I don't know. That's a really good question. I think I've heard that that number before. I don't know that it has to because I don't know what would what would differentiate a mass shooting from a spree killer because a spree killer their weapon of their weapon of choice would probably be a gun, right? Because you it was easier to spree kill that way, you know. I don't think it has to be that. Well, no, it doesn't. No, 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 it doesn't mass have to be. Would have to be obviously. Something you can shoot with, which would right. be a gun. Right, um, but, but like yeah, a, I think that has, to, to be classified as a mass shooting, I think there have to be at least five, five victims. victims. I don't know. Yeah, it is a, it's a really sore subject, but like I, I will say, Columbine, um, it happened in the 90s. and I do, It was like 94, I think. Yeah, and I do like remember things changing after that. Like I feel like it's... It's really con- like that's kind of like the the pivotal point, right? Oh, that's- actually occurred in 1999. So I do remember, like I remember it. I remember when it happened. Not not much because I, I don't really nine. remember when it happened. I just remember hearing about it when I was a little bit older. And I remember. The- and I remember it thinking that it happened like a long time before. I remember the after effects too, because I don't know if you remember in school, like trench coats were banned, and like that's whenever backpacks had to be a certain way like i just remember the after effects more than i remember i remember i mean yeah i remember things like that but i didn't it didn't really feel like it was after a certain point yeah that's what that's what i guess because it just like we just started introducing these new safety measures but and i heard about columbine but it didn't to me i I never read i never recognized it when i at the time as it like just happening, like yeah. I would have been able to remember that. And it happened. I always thought it was in like the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't actually until about a couple of years ago that I realized it was like the nineties. Yeah. Ninety nine. I had got the dates mixed up, but yeah, nineteen ninety nine. It's so recent. It's only been twenty years. Yeah. Oh, pretty intense. So yeah. Um, the next one that I have, which I'm a little excited about actually, is white collar crime. Oh, so, I thought you were going to list. No, I wasn't going to. So we gonna... got a couple other shootings on here. The Sandy Hook shooting. 
um, in the Vegas shooting. So I thought you were going to list those out. I was about to say, no, no, why no. are you excited about this? No, no, I'm excited about that. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, no, not that at all. I'm excited about the next topic. Okay. The next all right. Subcategory. So our next, our next category, yeah. white collar crime. Uh, so this would generally be categorized as like rich white uh, dudes. <laughs> yeah. Rich, rich people, uh, committing some, usually some sort of like fraud act to yeah. like get a bunch of money. Like they like embezzlement, things like that. Mm-hmm. So one of my favorite true white collar crime is actually one that's happened recently, and it's the Theranos company. So Elizabeth Holmes, um, she founded this company called Theranos that basically says, oh, we can use microscopic drops of blood to do all kinds of blood tests. But hey, investors, you can't look at any of our test results. You can't look at any of our paperwork. Trust me, it works. And it didn't. <laughs> it didn't work so, at all. Wow. And she like frauded, like defrauded like millions, like hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And right. it was in like Silicon Valley. She's the, she's the dude, I don't know, she's the girl who looks like Steve Jobs. Like she's got the black turtleneck. She's got the really deep voice. Mm. And she talks like she like gives off this persona of being like a certain way. what she's talking about? Yeah. And so w- blood tests would, for the purpose of what? All manner of things, like right, because it's like a start. It was essentially a startup, and like like they could like oh we can test blood now for like all of these things, like diseases and whatever, yes. or like genetic markers, mm-hmm. like all kinds of stuff. Like she was uh. just like the possibilities are endless, kind of thing, and that's why. So like, and so it, they didn't actually do anything. It didn't do anything. Nothing. Huh? They didn't even have anything. Like I want to say that there was a lab that they employed to make it look legit, but they didn't have anything like right there was crazy there was no basis and her investors she was like hey look it's proprietary information right we don't want you looking at all that and they were like okay cool just yeah that's crazy because i guess they would have been like oh hipaa laws yeah oh i get that like yeah people's dna evidence and stuff yeah that's crazy yep so and that's actually i think there was a cnn special on it on her um, not that long ago. I think I want to say it like in the last couple of years. Huh. Oh, um, I didn't see that one. But yeah. And then there's another one. I actually looked at the FBI uh, website, Most Wanted, for these two, uh, Natalia and Victor Wolf. They're currently wanted by the FBI for a real estate fraud scheme. They had Sky Development Group, which sold and or they resold land to people that had already been sold without the knowledge of the actual owners. Huh. <laughs> so... Um, they also issued fraudulent deeds and other documents to investors and buyers. So, oh wow, yeah. So they uh, are there are a hundred known victims of the scheme who have lost over twenty million dollars, and they're still wanted. Oh wow, yeah, no idea. So, so they don't know where they are. <laughs> nope. So those that's some white collar crime. I find that kind of fascinating. Right. Uh, that aspect. Um, so our next um, our next category here we've got thefts or robbery mm-hmm. so a lot of these are also kind of forms of white collar crime mm-hmm. you know they can be um but two that i that i listed were the collar bomb bank robbery oh i remember that one yes we actually watched that uh netflix documentary about it yeah that one was crazy that it, was so uh, many twists and turns right like bodies in freezers like all kinds of weird stuff yeah what was what was it what was the documentary called? Oh, um, like most shock, most shocking? No. No, it was like masterminds or something like evil, that. Evil genius. Evil genius. Yes. That was it. Yeah. Um, that yeah, one, I highly recommend that one. That one was really good. So basically, for those of you who aren't aware, um, basically a pizza delivery man <clears throat> is called to a site 
and these perpetrators put a bomb on him that is in the shape of a collar. And they give they give him instructions to go to a bank, rob a bank, and come back, and they'll take the collar off. Well, he robs the bank. He gets caught by the police, and he sits. They, they capture him, and so he's sitting on the pavement, <laughs> like, with the police around him saying, you know, I got to get this off. Like, this this is bad. This is going on. And, um, unfortunately, the, the bomb does detonate. Yeah. Um, so. That was crazy. Yeah. So, and there... In Evil Genius, the documentary, it does talk about whether or not he was in on it, whether or not, like, he, like, was aware it was active or not, and, like, all mm. that stuff. But it's pretty, it's a pretty interesting, interesting story. Um, the next one that I, that I highlighted, I can't remember when this happened, but it's B.D. Cooper. B.D. Cooper, yeah. I remember hearing about this. This was, like, in the 60s or 70s, I think. Yeah, so he hijacks a plane and he steals two hundred thousand dollars. DB Cooper. Oh yeah, DB Cooper. What do I have? I have BD. BD. Oh okay. Um, I think I have dyslexia. But <laughs> he hijacks a plane. He steals over two hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff, and like he like basically extorts it from the people on the plane. Nineteen seventy one. And he jumps out of the plane. Yeah, with so, a parachute. So back in, I mean, back in the seventies, like <laughs> oh my planes gosh. were a whole different deal. You could just walk on from you the could just, You could just walk up to the plane and just get on. Yeah. Um, and so he he was in there. Um, they you could still smoke on planes. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's just sitting there enjoying a cigarette, and he <laughs> what was it? He 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 gets the stewardess to come over, and he's he just tells her, hey, you know. Um, well, he he said he had a bomb, right? I think so. Yeah. That was the thing. Like he but told me, I think he had, it was actually a parachute. I think that's well, what no, it was. No, 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 no. I think he he had his suitcase with the stuff in it, oh. and he told them that that was a bomb, and then he told them to go get one of their parachutes. Oh my gosh! And then he went to the back and just jumped, jumped out, out of the plane. They haven't found him. They don't know. Yeah, They've, still nobody yeah. ever found DB Cooper. Yeah, I think that's so fascinating. Yeah. Um. So I don't have it in my notes. Um, well, I have cults in my notes, but we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna dive into that. And you and I talked about how that's probably not really true crime, even though cults often perpetrate crimes on their members. But yeah, we're not gonna get into that. So we talked about like unsolved a little bit and how mm. it's kind of like its own genre. I don't really have it in my notes, but I do want to talk about it a little bit. Um, so I think it's it's really interesting how um, just like. The unknown, right? Yeah. So a lot of these, a lot of times things will just go almost with like D.B. Cooper and some of these other ones. Like they just go unsolved. Like no one ever finds out who did it. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of its own subgenre too. Yeah. People just like, liking people want to look at these cases and, and try to figure it out for themselves. The puzzle goes back um, to the puzzle aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super interesting. Yeah. One last thing I want to touch on before we close out is, like, the ethical dilemma of true crime, right? And about how, like, essentially, the genre of true crime makes entertainment and profit off of victims. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I I get your point on that. And it's it's just a little icky. Yeah. I mean, it has its merits, though, because, you know, on some level, it's like... You know, they're raising awareness. They're making sure people know about stuff. Especially for these unsolved ones. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but somebody's making money from it. Yeah. And that's kind of gross. Yeah. So I think if you're going to do it, do it in a respectful way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Uh, but anyway, so that's really all that we have um, about true crime uh, for this evening. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Yeah, for um, sure. And if really... you guys have 
other topics or other if you want to correct other, us or other give coffees. us coffees. Oh yeah. Um, we are always open yeah, to go ahead and you can always just shoot us an email. Um, our email is date night coffee shop at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's date night, D A T E N I G H T coffee, C O F F E E S H O P. Um, all one word mm-hmm. at gmail.com. And that's Bart. We didn't introduce ourselves. You're Bart. Yeah, I'm Bart and she's Sam. We, I'm Sam. We, we mentioned that at the beginning. Oh, okay. I didn't um, realize that. But we really do hope you guys have enjoyed um, hanging out with us on our date night. Yeah. Um, and again, yeah. if you didn't like it, come back next time. We'll probably have something. Well, we will have something different yeah, to talk about. Yeah, we'll have about. a new topic. <laughs> a new topic next episode. Uh, but until then, I hope you guys really enjoyed it. Um, hope to see hope to see you guys again on our next date. Yep. All right. All right. See ya. Bye guys.